is the, the last Sunday of the month, and so uh, our entire families come to service. We've got little kids, we've got big kids, and, uh, but if, you, if your kids are younger than kindergarten, um, there, we do have some childcare available, and so if you have a kid that's younger than, that's under the age of like kindergarten age, or they're whatever, like you, they can, you can take them and they can be checked in, but everybody else, we are here today. Um, we have been in the book of Acts for probably about a year, year and a half, um, <laughs> a year and a half, and it's been a long time. You know, what's really interesting is, uh, is the book of Acts is actually not just a book by itself, but it's actually a part of a bigger work called Luke-Acts where Luke was telling the story of how Jesus came and he lived his, the ministry and he shared the gospel. And then they have the second work of how the church continued on. And this whole, this whole thing starts off as a letter and is addressed to a dear friend, Theophilus. Theophilus was a real person. Uh, he was probably somebody that was higher up. That's why it was being written to him. And Luke was following the work of the gospel as it was moving across. But I don't think that it's an accident that Theophilus, dear Theophilus, the very beginning of this, this whole work, that Theophilus' name translates to beloved of God or friend of God. And it's, it's so encouraging that as we get to dive into God's word, I don't think it's a coincidence that this letter is addressed to the friends of God or the beloved of God. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a beloved of God. And we get to dive into God's word and seek these truths that God can apply, that we can take and apply these to our lives, but that they're universal truths. And, we've, and as we've been going, as we've working through what it means to be a spirit-filled church, that we get to come to the end of this and see this last truth that God has for us. And uh, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Cody Tooley. I've had the honor and the privilege of being the youth pastor here for probably the last seven months. I think I was hired on at like chapter 14, and here we are in, in, in chapter 28. So it's been a long, a long time. And, uh, and so for those of you who don't know me, uh, I, I've, I'm from Owasso originally. Um, I love my family uh, and, and there's, there's a lot of things. I've been married to Abby for just over a year, so it's been a wonderful privilege of mine. Um, and as I was thinking about, like, how do I start this? How do I begin? I, I started to think of, uh, I, I, of the universal truths that we get to see about God. And there, there's a lot of things and a few things in life that are guaranteed. There's, and we, call, we tend to call them laws, right? Like the laws of the universe. You have, like, Laws of gravity, laws of attraction, laws of thermodynamics, you know, all these things that no matter what we believe about them, they don't change regardless. No matter how much we try to change them, you can't change gravity. I'm here to tell you about a law that's existed in my family, and it's called the Thule Factor. Uh, the Thule Factor. My, it's, a, it's a hereditary thing. Uh, it's a generational thing. Um, and I'll describe it to you for those of you who don't know. Uh, my family, they set their minds to do things. And when they set their mind to accomplish something, it is going to happen. It just might take a little bit longer <laughs> because there's a combination of Murphy's Law, which is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. We also have a little asterisk like right in the fine print that says uh, also anything that can't go wrong will also go wrong. And so we will get things done, but it might take a little bit longer than, than you would expect. Uh, I can't, there's a, this is a generational thing. 
my, we've had people marry into it, and it's happened. And, uh, and so there's, there's a lot of examples, but there, I can't think of a better example than my dad right now. He, he started building this shop. It's like a 20 by 40 by 16 shop in his backyard because he likes to work, and he's like, I'm going to do this myself. And so he said, I'm not going to hire people to build it. I'm going to find the, the materials. I'm going to build it with my family. It's going to be this great thing. And, uh, but he started off with, with the foundation, right? And he's like, I'm, I'm not going to do this myself. Like, I'm, I need someone else to pour concrete. So he hires somebody to come and deliver concrete to our house and to pour it. And everything was going very well until this fully loaded cement truck got into our backyard and sank all the way to the axle. A fully loaded cement truck sank all the way to the axle in our yard. And so what started off as a simple project turned into, let's dig this cement truck out of the mud. A few weeks later, he was continuing and he was running electricity through our yard. And so he had somebody come out and say, hey, we're going to, uh, to, we're going to mark all the lines that are underground. That way you can avoid them. And so it comes the day. They say, oh, yeah, we're sending him out this day. It's going to happen. And he rents this massive chainsaw-looking trench digger that he's going to dig all the way through the yard. And he's like, there's no holes in this area. So he sticks that thing to the ground, drags it all the way across the yard. And come to find out, he cut the internet line all the way from our house to our neighbor's house as well. So our neighbors lost their internet. It's Thule Factor. Thule Factor. We got it done, but we had to, <laughs> had to go and fix something. Recently, he was going to put water out into the shop. And so he was going to dig this water line, and he couldn't find it for the life of him. But he said, I'm going to do it. So he rents this, like, bucket cleaner thing or, like, lifter. And uh, is digs about five holes that are about six feet down and, like, ten feet long and cannot, for the life of him, find this water line until he goes to the front yard. He's like, I'm going to dig all the way over here. That way I don't hit it, but I'm going to find the edge of it. Water spews up, having to fix the water line. Thule factor. I've had, to, I've had to, when I got married, I had to warn my wife before we got married that uh, whenever we're making plans, we have to factor in for this thing, the Thule factor. We have to, we have to give us, ourselves a little bit of time. Um, things will happen. There will be setbacks, yet we will ultimately get through it. And you know, what's interesting is as we're reading through the, this book, there's a lot of things that we, that we see. There's a lot of uh, dis- like distractions or, th- or obstacles that happen. Um, but it all, ultimately the goal was accomplished. The gospel was shared and was spread all the way to the ends of the earth, despite everything. And the, the universal law that we see in today, we're in Acts 28, so if you want to turn there uh, with us, the, 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 the universal truth is that the gospel will spread and will advance regardless of what anything, whatever happens. The gospel will advance. This is a universal truth that you can take to the bank. And we as God's people get to walk alongside with the Lord as, and be used by him for the sake of this gospel because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be all across the whole earth. And we get to trust in the Father and say, God, I use me. I want to be used by you, and, and the gospel will advance. So if you will pray with me as we are diving in to this, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started, all right? God, thank you for today. Thank you for this Thanksgiving season. We get to spend time with family. We get to, to trust in you and pray, uh, and just to meditate on, on the things that you've done for us. God, you've sent your son Jesus to die for us, even though we were still sinners. 
God, we had rebelled against you, but yet you knew us and loved us and, and, and made a way for us to have life. God, there's no other way except through you and your spirit. So Father, I ask that as we are diving into your word today, that you would remove me from this situation. God, I know that my words will be inadequate, but God, your spirit will be made known regardless. So God, we're thankful for who you are. Answer your name, we pray. Amen. All right. So a little bit of background as things as we're getting started. Um, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's had a long journey. He's gone on, on three missionary journeys. He shared the gospel. People across the whole world and even people in Rome have started to hear the gospel. And have, there's a church has been planted for quite a while. But God has told Paul that you're going to go to Rome. And so he is now on a prison ship heading to Rome. The reason he's in prison is because uh, he, in an effort to make good with the Jewish people in the area, his brothers and sisters, he wanted to them, like he wanted to know that he was not just going against them, but that he was just proclaiming this gospel. And a mob started, and Paul was arrested and was accused of inciting riots and rebellions, but no one could really pen anything to him. So they're taking him to the highest court in Rome, that's in the capital of Rome. And so Paul is now on his way there. He's, 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 on, he's on this prison ship. Uh, he's, he's, been, he's made good relationships with the guards and with the other people. And now he gets uh, to the very end of chapter 27, and the ship crashes, and it wrecks. And people are now in, in, the, in the water, and they're escaping. And so this is where we pick up in chapter 28, uh, verse 1. And it says this. Once ashore, we learned that the island was called Malta, and the local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. And when the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said said to one another, this man is probably a murderer. And although he escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. And they expected that his hand would swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen uh, in him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so this is such an interesting story because, like, there have been entire churches that have started with this premise that if, you, uh, hold, if you're a Christian and you hold a snake, that you will not get bitten. I don't think that is the, the application here. Uh, but it starts off with this scene that Paul is now shipwrecked. They've made it to land and they've survived. And now they're in these local areas. There's, there's these locals that, that they have shown them extraordinary kindness. They've gone above and beyond. They've given them food. They've, they've helped them start fires. They've, they've shown, they've, they've, they're helping them recover from all the stuff that's happening. And, and they, and, but, they, but Paul describes them as like barbarians, that they just don't know the, like the Roman language. And so they, they're of a different dialect, but yet they seem to have some knowledge of like the, the, the Roman pantheon, the Roman gods. And so what happened, and there's, there's a reference here that, I, that was really cool. There's an old Greek poem there's an old Greek poem of a mariner who, he, he, he's, he's, on, he's sailing, and he crashes, and then he escapes, and as he's recovering on the shore, a snake comes out and bites him, and he dies. 
And that's a, that's a Greek poem. So these people, they have some sort of knowledge of the, of the Greek uh, poetry and, and, and the culture. They see this man who, who's on a prison ship. He's on his way to, to, for judgment. And the ship crashes and wrecks, and he survives, only to make it onto the sea and to be bitten by a snake. And so they see that, and they think about their God, Justice. And it's probably another God, but the, this is the reference of the thing. is the God of Justice. She's a goddess that she was going to get her justice regardless of whatever happened. Paul has managed to escape the shipwreck, but yet she got her way, and he was bitten by a snake, and he was going to die. He must be a murderer. But Paul miraculously survives this encounter and just goes about his day, and he doesn't die. God protects him from it, and he survives this viper bite to his hand. It's incredible. It's this miracle, and the people are so shocked by this. They're like, he must be a god. And so then it goes into verse 7, and there's a second story. Now in the area, that, uh, that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, and who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us, and we sailed, and they gave us what we needed. They gave this, this party everything that they needed in order to survive the rest of the journey. And so Paul is coming, and it's, it's, a very sim- it's just this beautiful picture of like what Christ was doing, where he's performing miracles, and because of what God was doing, he, uh, he, he was like, people were coming and were, and were experiencing this, this healing, this beautiful picture of this. And then it goes on. Again, another story. And after three months, we set sail on an, in an Alexandrian ship that wintered at the island with the twin brothers, that being the constellations. He's, he's giving kind of a time of year. It was, it was kind of during the winter. It was cold. And putting at, uh, in at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. From there, after, we make a circuit along the coast and reach Re- Regium. And after a day, south wind sprang up. And the second day, we came to Putioli. I, I don't speak Greek, so I apologize. I'm not, I'm not Scott. Uh, and while we were there, we found believers, and they invited with them to, for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And now the believers from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as a form of Appius and the three taverns. And when Paul saw them, we thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Immediately, as soon as the ship crashes, we get these three stories. And so Paul is now on his way back to Rome. He's on the prison ship. Things, they're continuing on their way. And they get to this area, and there are believers that are gathered. They just happen to meet them. They they say they're Jewish or Gentile. They just, they gathered. Some of these people, even traveling 30 to 40 miles just to come and just to talk with Paul, this, this encourager that they've seen and they've gotten to know over time. The first story, God protects Paul in, like, from this viper bite as he's on his way to the gospel. The second story, we see that Paul was faithful and he was he, uh, curing people in the name of the gospel. And these people provided everything that they needed because they were lacking. They had a shipwreck. They lost all their stuff. And this last one, Paul is, is deeply encouraged by these people that came and were visiting with him, even from 40 miles away, so that, he could, that, so that they could just talk with him and encourage him and be with him because they have heard of what was going on. The first point, if you're taking notes this morning in the, this first 16 chapters, 
is that in suffering, God sustains. In suffering, God sustains. A lot of times in our lives, we're going to go through a lot of difficult scenarios and difficult situations. And it may seem that it is, it's been tough for a long time. Paul is, is on his way to Rome, not because of his, necessarily his own volition, but because of the injustice that was happening that we saw uh, last week. This injustice that he was being thrown in jail un, unjustly. Or he, and now he's having, to exp, he's having to go through these, these court systems, having to go away from his family, away from his brothers and sisters. It seems like these are all obstacles that would prevent people from hearing the gospel or would prevent Paul from doing his job. But yet, when we have these spirit-led believers, these followers of Christ that are sold out for him, that they're looking and saying, no matter where I am, God, you are still Lord, and I will live my life for you. That in this suffering that we go through, this, this, this hardship that we experience, God continues to sustain us. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians uh, 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord. He's in prison. And he's saying, you know what? If I'm a prisoner, if I'm right here, I'm going to be a prisoner for the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Paul is using every opportunity, and even amongst suffering, even amongst these, these obstacles that seem that they're, you can't get past them, God continues to sustain. So when we suffer, what does that mean for us? There's a lot of reasons for us to have difficulties, a lot of obstacles in our life where, God, like, where we could say, God, I, I, I was so hard to share the gospel. But yet, God, we can trust in you no matter what. Even in these sufferings, even amongst these obstacles, God, you sustain us and you give us what we need. You give us the supplies that you need. You give us the hope that we need, the encouragement that he needs. Because he knows us. He knows our needs. And we, and we have this, this desire to tell people about the transformation of the gospel that has happened in our own lives. And if our hearts are for that and we are pursuing that with every bit of our being, we are using whatever you are, lawyer, doctor, teacher, student, if you're using every single one of these things for the gospel, that God will sustain you through whatever trial and, short, and, and, and issue happens. God sustains us. The second point that we see is this. In verse 14, or sorry, verse 17. After three days, we called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have nothing, I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner uh, from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offense. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled uh, to appeal to Caesar. But it was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, I've asked to see, uh, to, to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is in the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. We see in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. Right, Jesus on his earth, he 
his, his maza, he would first go to the Jews because salvation was through the Jews. It was through the line of David, this, this, this king. It was through the faithfulness of all these people and it was through his chosen people that salvation for all peoples would come. And so Jesus first came to these Jewish people, these religious people who knew God, and he's now sharing this gospel with them. So he says, I want, I want to, it's for this reason that I've come to bring the hope of Israel. Despite all the issues that the Jews have given me, and now I'm in chains because of it, I'm here to bring you hope, to, first to the Jewish people. And they said to him, we haven't received any letters from you, uh, from Judea. None of the brothers have come and reported but spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from you what you have to think. For concerning this sect, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. And after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. See, people were coming to Paul. He was able to see people even though he was under house arrest. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God, and he tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors. Paul begins all of his missionary journeys by following the the model of Christ. He first went to God's own people. And and, And he goes into the temple first to the Jews, and then he begins to, to reason with them. He begins to share this gospel with them. He begins to tell them about the good news and what God has said and what God has done in their lives. And so it's because of this that, like, that Paul is meeting with these people. Yet every single time he goes through one of these missionary journeys, he comes to this point where people walk away in two camps. Either they hear the gospel, the good news, or they disagree with it and, they, and they, they kind of become stiff-necked and they just kind of sit there and they don't listen. And every single place that he goes, he starts with this process, the people of God, and there's always two camps, either those who are, are, are listening and are open to the gospel or those who are stuck and are stubborn in their own ways. But yet Paul does this faithfully every single time. And in this last time that he's in Rome, it's because of these people's stiffness and, 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 and their stiff neck that he's in chains and he's shipwrecked and he's been bitten by a viper and he's, and he's had to go through all this stuff. It's because of their stubbornness. But yet Paul, even in that moment, he was faithful and steadfast for the gospel. And so I think the second point that we can see this is that against stubbornness, we need steadfastness. Against stubbornness, we need steadfastness. We have, God has placed every single one of us in Oklahoma City. Do you know that? God is sovereign over all things. And here we are, 21st century, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, inner city. At Northwest Baptist Church, God has put us here and it's called, it's not an accident. And it's really easy for us to, to go and to feel frustrated because people aren't listening to this gospel. You can share the gospel. You might have, I have a family member in my, 
that in my life I love dearly. And no matter how many times I share the gospel with them, they're stubborn. They just don't want to listen. They, be, they, just, they, they, they just don't They just don't care. What's interesting is that the gospel message, when driven by the Spirit, is much more powerful than our words. If I can convince you of something, somebody else is going to be able to convince you otherwise, if it's on, if it's on my own power. The gospel is the main message. It is our hope. It is the, the center of our faith. There's a lot of tertiary issues, these, these issues on the outside that sometimes they're important to talk about because it's a matter of philosophy, it's a matter of how we be our good stewards with what God has given us. And sometimes it's really easy for us to become stubborn in a lot of ways because this is the only way that, like, we, we only do events to bring people. I can't share the gospel there. It might cost me something. I've shared the gospel with this person so many times and they just do not listen. But we see right here in Paul's example that even amongst their stubbornness and even amongst their, slow to, their slowness to listen, Paul remains steadfast in the gospel. He keeps the main thing the main thing. Stubbornness means that we, 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 we hear something and it's, it's, it's difficult for us to hear. We, we don't want to talk about it. And so we begin to put our head in the sand and we, and we just don't budge. Steadfastness is despite even all this frustration and despite people not moving, we continue to be faithful in our message. In a, in a world that's stubborn, we need steadfastness. We need people who say, I want to keep the gospel the gospel. I'm not going to worry about all these other things. I'm going to keep the gospel the gospel. And, they, and people begin to move slowly. People walked away from Paul's message. And some of them agreed. Some of them were convinced. And they were like, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus is the way. And it's because of his steadfastness that people listened. So, what do we do? Where is there any stubbornness in our own lives? If we're being honest with ourselves, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to reveal us, but there are points in our lives, there are things that I've done growing up, that I'm like, yeah, this is the right way. And I can be really stubborn and just think about those, those things. And I say, I'm the only one I'm going to do things. But what happens is whenever I get plugged into that, and I stay right there, and, and that's, that becomes almost like my gospel, it becomes my goodness, this is what I'm doing. And I get away from the, the gospel message. We need steadfastness. We need people who are being faithful to the good news according to scripture, according to what God has told us rather than what our world is telling us or, 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 or what we've done in the past. We need steadfastness in the gospel. And so then we get to our, this final section, verse uh, 27. Oh, excuse me. Going, going back up. Verse 26. Go to these people and say, you will, not, you will listen, yet not understand. You will look and not yet perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown calloused. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes. 
and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and would be converted and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this is the saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. And he said, two, he stayed two whole years in his own rented house. And he welcomed all who visited him and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. The last point is that by God's spirit comes salvation. It is by God's spirit comes salvation. It is entirely possible for these people to sit in the synagogues and to sit in these services for their whole lives and to hear the gospel message preached and yet they hear nothing. They receive nothing. And to have a false understanding of the gospel and to focus on the wrong things and, 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 and like we should read this and we should, we, we should be shocked. How, how come the people of God can hear time and time again this gospel message what God is telling us to obey in our lives he says this is how you live this is how we ought to walk and we hear these things over and over again and go oh yeah that was good and then these people of Israel like they, they these Jews they just turned away they said nah I'm done they go on an angry debate with one another I should make us sad that should make us like hurt because it's like people hear this gospel over and over again. We want them to know. We want this, we want this, this life-changing news to go out amongst all people. We want people to, to come and grow closer with God as every single day of their lives and they begin to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And it, becomes, it oftentimes becomes a frustration or a fear that we don't share the gospel because what happens if someone doesn't listen? It might cost me something. I don't even know if it'll be worth it if anybody will actually come to know Christ. And we can preach these things over and over and over again. And it's like they just don't, they don't listen. But read verse 28. Beloved of God, friends of God, Theophilus. Therefore, let it be known to you, the saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. That's a universal truth that we can take to the bank. That the Holy Spirit, that the work of God in, our, in, in the lives of people, we, we, we have to be faithful, but God, his, by his Spirit, will bring his children to him, his creations to him. They will listen. Praise God for that. Church, do not let the fear of people not caring or not hearing the gospel or being annoyed by the gospel, do not let that be a limit or an obstacle for you talking about the gospel. Do not. There is no excuse or reason for us as Christians to not participate in some way in the, the mission and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. There is 
no excuse, no reason for any Christian, any follower of God to not participate in some ways. But here's the thing. Here's the cool thing. It's that we're part of the body of Christ. And God has designed each and every one of you. He knows the number of hairs in your head. Do you guys know that? God knows the number of hairs on your head. He's known you from the very beginning. He's designed you and he's put you here in God's sovereignty. Not so that you can say, look at how good I am or God knows me, right? Or God's going to bring somebody to me because that's very self-centered. But, but he did that so God can use you for the sake of this gospel. And sometimes that might be, I'm, I'm a mobilizer. I'm going to send somebody out to go and, and, and share the gospel. I'm going to encourage them and send them out. I'm going to be a discipler. I want to disciple somebody so that they can go and they know what it means to be a follower of Christ. I might be someone who can even, in my own home, open it up so that other people can have an, a, a safe spot for the gospel to be preached and for them to interact with Scripture in an honest way. But we cannot let the, peop- the, the fear of people not hearing or caring stop you from sharing the gospel. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and, and talk of them when you're sitting in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your head. And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. If the gospel has changed us, beloved of God, first we were, we were children of wrath, we were enemies of God, but now we are beloved of God if you have given your life to Christ. If God has changed you, we should talk about that. We should teach our children that. We should write it on the doorposts. Um, it's, it's a really weird thing, and I've, I realize I do weird things sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of times I'll, I'll ask uh, students, I'm like, hey, what's God doing in your life? Or how can I be, be praying for you? And a lot of times, it's very strange. In every church I've been at, it's been very strange. Uh, I have to think about that. And it's, and it's, it's, it's weird because I, because I was convicted. Someone had done that to me. I was like, I don't have an answer. But if I'm meditating on the Lord daily, if I'm riding on the doorpost of my house, if I'm thinking about it whenever I rise up, whenever I go to bed, whenever I'm walking by the way, whenever I'm eating with my family, it should be a regular part of, I should have an answer for that. God's doing something always. God's moving always. God's never stagnant. We should talk about that. Because God has changed us. And if all of, all of us are going through difficult times, sorry, excuse me, wrong notes. <laughs> Don't let this fear of what might happen or what might not happen hinder us from proclaiming this gospel. We just, and you know, it's, 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 the, it's the very foundation of this missional strategy in our lives. 
the very, it's the, this is the, ba- if you want to know the, the basic tenets of, of missiology and gospel proclamation and evangelism in the Old Testament, or in, in this New Testament, how, how do they do it? They just did it. Paul says, just do it. Just share this gospel in our lives and in our world so that way people can hear about it and allow God to do the rest because it's by his spirit that people come to know Christ. We're not talking about calling people of sin out. Sinners are gonna act like sinners, right? Children are gonna act like children. Christians should act like Christians, right? But in our lives, we should talk about the transformation of what God has done in our lives. Church, I was far from God. I was a good person, but I was far from God. And God saved me. God gave me grace. God put me in a family that that proclaimed the gospel to me, and it took me 12 years to hear this gospel message growing up in the church, and then I gave my life to Christ. God saved me. How can I shut up about that? How can I not talk about that? God has offered all of us grace. God has given us grace. And the reason that we do this, the reason that we share this gospel is because he's worthy. Not out of guilt, church. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Not out of just obligation. God says you have to, so you should do it. But it's out of who God is and because of his glory and because of the fact that he is worthy of praise. He's the one that is worthy of honor. He was here before the foundations of the earth. He is the one that will be here long after the foundations of the earth have crumbled. He was the one that is self-sustaining, self-existent. He relies on nobody else. He is present always. He, He has all power. He has all knowledge. He is loving. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. The angels in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The word holy just means, means separate, other, outside. He is so much. He's not just holy. He's not just set apart. He is holy, holy, holy. The most set apart. The most perfect. The most other than who we are. We cannot even begin to fathom the glories of God. Yet he came down. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus came into existence. He he came into our world, and he gave us salvation. He has transformed my life. God is worthy of that. Is he worthy to you? Is he worthy? If I were to to look at the time that we spend on our phones, or the time that we spend at work, or the way that we talk with our family. Would I, would I be, if I were just to be a fly on the wall. Or you got to be a fly on my wall. That's, that's a big thing. As a pastor. If you were to be a fly on my wall. Would you say, man, he believes that God's worthy. With his actions and his life. God has called each and every one of us to worship him. And to follow him. Beloved of God. This letter is to us. While Theophilus existed and he was a real dude, 
I don't think it's an accident that it was addressed to the beloved of God. If you're a beloved of God in here, in this room right now, is God worthy? Then let's go live that out. And here's the thing, here's another thing. If, if there's someone in here, if there's someone that's listening online or whatever that, you know, wherever you're at, I ask you the question, do you know God? Do you know him? If you've never given your life to him, God has transformed my life. He has given me hope where I had no hope. He's given me purpose where I have no purpose. He has given me salvation where I did not deserve salvation. He gave me grace and he gave me mercy. And amongst a world that is broken and fallen and evil, and there's a lot of bad things that have happened, God sustains us. He gives us what we need. Even when we become stubborn in our own hearts, he gives us this grace and he is steadfast. He is the most steadfast. And it's by his spirit that I was able to experience the salvation. The very spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead is now working in my life. And he's working in the lives of believers in this room. It's crazy. So if you've not known Jesus, if you've not given your life to him, this is the picture. God created everything. And it was perfect. We were walking in the cool of the evening with God. Just like you and I are sitting here, God was with his people. He gave them everything that they would possibly need. Yet, he said, there's one rule, one stipulation. Don't eat of this one tree. And Adam and Eve sinned, and, and they rebelled against God. They ate of the tree. They disobeyed him. And because of that, we were separate from a holy and righteous God. And so, there has to be a payment for our sins, because God is just. A bad judge would let a crime go unpunished. And God's a good judge. And so we gave sacrifices, and, and, and people did what they could to make themselves right with God, but yet all fell short time and time again. And so God sent his son Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, born under the law, according to the law. He's held accountable to that law, yet he sinned none. He has no sin. But yet he died on the cross as a sacrifice for you and me. He, 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 it was an atonement sacrifice. So where we were far from God, man, God was God, God brought us close to him. But three days later, Jesus did, wasn't just a man. He didn't just die, but he had the power over sin and death. And he rose from the grave and he appeared before all of the disciples and before his people who had followed him who watched him die. And he says, all right, all authority in heaven has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but God's given us this gift that if we just confess that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that God rose him, raised, raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And so if you don't know, if you don't have that message, if you've never given your life to God, ask somebody, it's worth it. It's worth it. So church, where is God convicting you today? Where is God moving you today? Let's, as we pray, as we kind of go into this time of invitation, this is a time to respond. It might mean we need to get on our knees and pray. It might mean that we just need to talk to somebody. If God's stirring in your heart, I pray that you don't ignore that. God's moving. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done.
thank you for this message and the fact that no matter what, your gospel will advance and that the knowledge of your glory will be made known across the whole earth. God, we need you every single day. And so I ask, Father, just that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives, that in the lives of our church, and those who don't know you, God, that you would reveal to them who you are, and that they would get to experience you, and that you would draw them in. God, for our city, as there is so much hurt and pain and suffering, God, that you would bring about life change and transformation, not making bad people good, but making dead people alive. Lord, we need you above all. God, would you please move people down the aisle? God, there's people that need to respond. Would you help them to respond? Just come talk to one of the pastors that will be up front. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.